Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you an event rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on the current weekend's UFC event, complete with hot takes, possible next fights, and reactions to the overall card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 6th round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host. Joining me once again this week, Dane Fox, filling in for Eddie Mercado, who is, as per usual, stranded out somewhere at sea on this glorious Saturday afternoon. We're coming to you all just from the close of UFC London, going down at the O2 Arena in London, England, headlined by a heavyweight top contender about Tom Aspinall, making his comeback from one year of injury rehab to absolutely mop the floor with Marcin Tybura. Uh, that's that's putting it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ty- Tybura barely put forth any credible offense towards uh, Aspinall. Um, just uh, the, the, the big Brit came back. He just, he looked better than ever, uh, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, because it's not that we haven't seen quick finishes from Aspinall before, uh, but we haven't seen him uh, do what he did to somebody on Tybur's level before. Um, and, and that's not to say he doesn't have quality wins, but just, yeah. And the yeah. fact that he was coming back from the injury, very impressive performance. Yeah, although I, I will say John Gooden at one point, I think right after he was like, wow, did not expect that fight to go that way. Yeah. And it's just like, did you really not, though? Because, I mean... The big thing we know about Tybura, even in his best performances, are that good athletes tend to kick his ass, even when they're not very good fighters. You got Alexander Romanov, absolutely mopped the floor with Marcin Tybura for a round before gassing horribly. You got Walt Harris, absolutely mopped the floor with Tybura for like three minutes before getting taken down and beat up. Greg uh, Hardy absolutely mopped the floor with Tybura for a round. Like, and, you know, the guys that are actually better, your your Derek Lewis's, your Fabricio Verdum's, those kinds of fighters, your Alexander Volkov's have just never really struggled with him. Uh, in Gooden's defense, you know, I think what he's uh, kind of getting at is the fact that, that Tybura has been able to survive those onslaughts. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, I, I didn't ex- I expected uh, uh, Aspinall to kind of come out and test out his knee, uh, give it some time, but he he blasted out of the gate, you know. And it, given the result, it's not like I can argue with him. Obviously, he did the thing that was best for him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, beautiful performance. Um, he does put uh, the likes of uh, John Jones and uh, uh, Stipe Miocic on notice, but at the same time, he's he's got to. Uh, stroke the right egos if he hopes to uh, be fighting for the title within the next year because if there's anything that we've learned with regards to the heavyweight title picture you've really got to be on the good side of uncle dana in order to get a a shot at that gold oh yeah wow it sounds to me like aspinall has the right 
the right plan here. He's targeting a top contenders fight. He had a specific call out. He has a specific way he wants to do it. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't see any reason that they would hold him back from that kind of big fight. He's got these, especially too, cause he's got the UK audience behind him and the UFC always, that's, that's an audience. They're always happy to serve if they can. I would just like to very briefly, I'll read my, my pick for the staff picks from this. Cause you know, I got a little, do a little crowing for myself here. Uh, <laughs> One of the most consistent big problems for Tabura across his UFC career has been fighters that are more athletic than he is. Even in bouts where he's rallied back to get the win, those fights often involve him getting absolutely shellacked for a whole round before making a comeback. I don't think Aspinall will give him that chance. Tom Aspinall will be a TKO round one. So, you know, that's why I'm a little bit on good and like, yeah, what are you talking about? We didn't expect this. <laughs> I yeah. expected this. Aspinall, he, like... He, this is the real quality. I think this is the real difference that you can see about somebody who has started MMA at a really young age and grown up with MMA. Because I'm often a little dismissive of that as like a core way to build fighters. I often think it's like, you know, maybe you should actually just go be a wrestler or go be a boxer or go be a kickboxer and then convert to MMA later so that you have one really deep skill set instead of a, a broad range. But the great thing that you can see out of some of these fighters that start out really young, like Aspinall did, is just the absolute comfort they have with fighting with the metagame and with fighting fast and with fighting naturally. Like Tom Aspinall is a heavyweight that fights like a lightweight or a welterweight. Yes. And that that has to come from training when he was still young enough to, you know, move and be to actually be a lightweight and welterweight. Like, yeah. you're never going to see somebody who comes to the game late like Derek Lewis did. They're never going to move like Tom Aspinall, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, there, there's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he's a hell of an athlete helps. But at the same yeah. time, though, it, it needs to be said that while there's only so much you can do to to develop uh, natural athleticism, you yeah. can do something about it. And it's clear that Aspinall has done everything that he can to maximize what type of athlete that he is. Yeah. And I mean, especially it sounds like his, this knee injury was actually kind of good for him because he even admitted like he wasn't actually treating his body like a pro athlete before this injury. And the injury really actually put enough notes on Because I mean, especially too, like, if you need to make sure that your knees are going to hold up long-term, getting in better shape is like one of the, the best ways you can possibly protect your knees. Yes. So I think this was just kind of a wake up for him to diet better, work out better, all the other things that like an actual pro athlete would do alongside, you know, already being a guy who trains hard and, all that other stuff. So, yeah, he looked phenomenal out there. And uh, after the bout, he called for the winner of Cyril Gaon versus Sergei Spivak. I would honestly say that the UFC would be better served just to cancel that fight and go with <laughs> Gaon Asp Aspinall. Like, that's just a much cooler fight. Agreed. Um, but, yeah, that's it, it's a great plan. You've got Jones out there booked to fight. Uh, 
Stipe Miocic and the biggest the biggest worry on the horizon for uh, guys like Aspinall have to, and Sergei Pavlovich have to be that Jones is going to fight that fight and then just be like, yeah, all right, I'm out. Yeah. You know, I don't need to fight the up and comers. That's not because that, that was what bored him so much at light heavyweight. And I think it might bore him, too, at heavyweight. But otherwise, yeah, I think we're talking one fight and title contention for Tom Aspinall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if uh, if he gets that gone fight um, and, and you know gets the win, uh, it, it's I don't think it's going to be a much of a debate about who gets a shot between him and Pavlovic. He he's just so much more marketable for the UFC that he's going to get the call over Sergey. Yeah, and if if Jones does just re- decide to retire, or if he starts waffling and starts you know uh, getting back into negotiations with the UFC and stuff like that, then you just make you make Aspinall versus Pavlovich for a title or for the interim title. I know. And, and we're, we're talking about Jones retiring. Hell, if Stipe wins, I wouldn't be surprised if he retires either. Oh yeah. 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 No, I mean, I really do just assume that Stipe, there's no way I would ever think that Stipe Miocic is going to fight anybody in that division other than John Jones. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah, no, Tom Aspinall, he looked fantastic. This this card was mostly terrible, but it ended strong. It ended with all of its best fights, which is the best thing you can ask from, for from a card like this. And it did something, it, it had the meaningful moment at the end, too, of actually creating a new contender. And that's... You know, I mean, it sucked that we, for those of us who were working it professionally, had to sit through like 11 fights worth of decisions out of 15. What was it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine decisions out of 15 fights. Yeah, and most of them weren't fun decisions. (laughs) And most of them were really grinding and ugly. Yeah. Um, But from the perspective of like a fan who's just d- dipping in to, to fight the, to watch the main card or, you know, just really wanted to see Paul Aspinall or Paul Craig or whatever the, the, the fights up at the top, then they probably walked out reasonably entertained. Yeah. They walked out entertained, but if, if they came in wanting to, uh, to watch Molly McCann do her thing, they walked out disappointed. Oh yeah. Well, that's definitely true. I will say that much of the, the live chat over on our Substack was people just being who, who it was. It was people who sat down with me at the beginning and were like, "Oh my God, what is this?" Anyway, speaking of that, Julius Julius Molly McCann fight. The read on this had to be right from the beginning. Molly McCann is going to have to survive one brutal submission attempt in this fight if she's going to win it, and. She didn't survive it. Like, that's really all there was to it. Like, you know Stolyarenko is going to blitz you. You know with Stolyarenko's size and her recklessness, she's probably going to succeed in blitzing Molly McCann. It's just a question of does Molly McCann get submitted instantly or does she rally back to win as Stolyarenko then tends to completely implode after her fast starts? Mm-hmm. And... uh Can didn't survive. Rough, rough night for her in front of a uh, a a home proximity crowd. I mean, obviously they're not in Liverpool, but you know. Yeah, yeah. No, um, 
throwing back to the stat picks the way that you did, uh, my analysis of the fight was I would love to be able to see what Billy Ranko looks like on the scales. Mm-hmm. Because we submit the stat picks before the weigh-ins. Um, and mm-hmm. given how Billy Ranko had had issues with the scale before fighting at 135, yeah, uh, my, my thoughts were that, okay, I don't know what she looks like heading in, but I'm going to guess that this is going to be a tough weight cut for her. Yeah, and so that's that's why I picked McCann. But in retrospect, being able to see what Stoli Ranko looked like on on the scale, I totally would have picked it because whatever it was that she did to prepare for uh, the weight cut in the fight, you know, she she did it expertly. She yeah. was more prepared for this fight than any other fight that I can uh, recall because she was able to to use her size advantage to uh, to kind of bully McCann to the ground. Cause that, that was not the cleanest takedown, but Hey, it no. got the job done. And yeah. that's, that's what she was looking to do uh, with the move down in the weight class. So I would have always picked McCann just because with Stoli Rinko, it's such a hail Mary. Like it's just a, Oh, I, she's either going to get the instant submission or she is going to lose. Like she doesn't have other performances and to date the, you know, the best win of her career was a thoroughly shot and like already, you know, confidence defeated Jessica Rose Clark. Mm-hmm. So I was always going to go in saying, you know, I think all McCann has to do is survive this one moment. And if she can do that, she'll win this fight, but she does have to survive that one moment. Yeah. And you're always taking that chance with her in a fight like this. So yeah, no quality win for for Stoliarenko, at least in a in a job saving sort of way. Yes, and uh, for McCann, just another reminder that although she's very popular and very fun, she is never going to be any kind of version of a of a contender at the flyweight division. Yep. yep. All right, yep. that brings us to our highlight fight of the night: Nathaniel Wood. Andre Feely, and the third round was a little lackluster. Both men kind of were tired of getting hurt, but man, those first two rounds were totally awesome. Uh, first round and a half, to be more specific, because the last half of the second round largely saw, I believe it was Feely riding his back. Yeah, but I mean, even then, it was just like, it was still tense. It was still like, oh man, what's, you know, like... He just got hurt. Can Feely finish him? Did he make a big mistake? You know, you're still watching through it like... In that sense, yes. Yeah, through the second round. And then the third round came and they were just sort of like, all right, yeah, let's let's fence a little. I don't need to get dropped again getting crazy. Yeah, but yeah, those... Yeah, the the opening of the fight in the second round, yeah, it was fantastic. Um, I think... Yeah, Feely hurt Wood in the first minute, and then Wood came back and, and yep. walloped Feely with about a minute left or so in the first round. Uh, and then again, the second round, Feely hurt Wood again, came uh, extremely close to stopping the fight. I, I think Feely screwed up by by uh, attempting to go for the club and sub when he should have just continued to wail on him. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, even too, though, the open the second round would hurt Feely again in the opening of the second. Like, Oh, they, right. they started in the opening of round two. Wood came out and popped Feely and had Feely like looking like he was about to get hurt really badly again. Mm-hmm. It, that fight was just all over the place. And then, yeah, Wood walked into a couple of big shots that had him 
on rubber legs, badly hurt, going to the de- the ground, and yeah, Feely followed him down. And you know, Feely's not a bad he's not a bad grappler. He's not a bad wrestler. He's got some good uh, top game attack. You know, he's not. He's not terrible at that kind of stuff, but he also he's got a you know he he should have gone through his own wiki and do, done the lazy version of research to realize that it has been uh, eleven years since he submitted anyone. Yeah. Like it's just not a big part of his his submission game is not a big part of his arsenal, and also Nathaniel Wood has no neck. Somebody <laughs> else was pointing that out to me. Before the fights, and Nathaniel Wood just does not have a neck to choke. So, going after it and trying to choke him out, not a good idea. Yeah, you know, and then he he transitioned to going for the armbar. Just, I don't think Wood's been submitted in his career. Let me double check on that. He has, yes, he has. He's been submitted twice. Was it early or was it UFC? Very early. Submitted okay. in his first couple of fights. Somebody actually did rear naked choke him back in Bama. Can't believe it. Um, but yeah, he, he was submitted twice early in his career, okay, yep, but yep. never since. He has been TKO'd though. So, I, you know, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, great, I do remember that loss. The Dodson. Yeah. Great, great win for Wood. Rough loss for Feely. And uh, automatically, right away, you know, thinking like Wood Barboza, Wood Yusuf, you know, those kinds of fights. Wood Ige. Um, I'd love to see. Caceres would be fun. Or Caceres, too. Yeah. Uh, All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Paul Craig, Andre Muniz. And unfortunately, we started this fight with a whole round of absolutely the last thing anybody wants to watch, which is shitty BJJ kickboxing (laughs) of the lowest level. Just two men kicking each other from 12 feet away, winging the occasional overhand. The worst kind of fight. And then finally they got in, they started tangling up and rolling around, and the fight was instantly way better. And then for some reason that I'm not at all sure sure of, the referee who watched, was it Mahmoud Muradov? It wasn't the same ref, I don't think. So I can't really make it, can't be that hard on it in that terms. But like the referee who watched uh, Andre Muniz dive in and drop his head on Paul Craig made the completely right move and stood them both up and took the, the position away from, from Muniz and did in total opposition to the Mahmoud Muradov, Brian Barbarana fight earlier where Muradov did the exact same thing. And then the referee gave him back his position mm-hmm. anyway, for, like I said, reasons I, I can't understand at all. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know that there's some people who would claim it was intentional, unintentional, excuse me. But even if it was unintentional, you know, I mean, with a dick kick, you know, we assume most of those are unintentional. It doesn't mean yeah. that you give them the same position back or anything like that. 
Well, and the thing is, too, is that in both of these situations, the guy on top has complete control of the position of their opponent. Yep. Like, it, whether it's intentional or not, Muniz is holding Paul Craig in place. There's no way that Paul Craig is moving in a way that is going to create a head clash. Exactly. Muradov is holding Barbarina in place. There's no way Barbarina is moving that Muradov is going to create a head clash. These head clashes are only happening because the fighter on top is reckless. So they have to they have to pay for those mistakes. And in the case of and like this is, you know, the the argument here was is pretty clear for why it would be such a big deal, which is that the moment Muniz lost that position, Paul Craig went out and took it right away from, you know, took the whole fight over. He took him right down, got on top of him and created the the circumstances that led to the end of the TKO at the end of the fight. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, in that sense, yes, that uh, that is kind of, uh, yeah, that is the story of the fight in the sense that, you know, the referee made the difference. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to take anything away from Craig. No, he, did, he, fought, he fought great Go, going in and diving and getting a takedown after being put in such a bad spot the way he was yes like that you know that's all skill on craig's part but so. yeah but more than anything i i feel like the the story is the fact that craig didn't look like crap at 185 no he didn't and, and you know like we've seen it so often where where uh, guys are in the the late peak of their late part of their career uh decide a desperation weight drop or whatever and they just look terrible in the process. Uh, the yep. most recent one that comes to my mind is Misha Serkinov. No, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, there's there is the occasional exception, and uh, generally, the those fighters that tend to find success doing that are considered to be some of the more thoughtful fighters within the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one I, I'm not saying that Craig is on his level. But I don't think anybody will deny the fact that Jose Aldo is one of the more thoughtful fighters. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and when he dropped from featherweight to bantamweight, I remember having a similar reaction, thinking, "What in the hell are you doing?" But yep. Aldo looked great when he dropped to bantamweight, and right now, uh, I got to give Craig the benefit of the doubt, which I, I didn't heading into the fight. He he looked fantastic, and it, it looks like that he uh, might have made the the right move. He very well might have. Uh... A little too early to tell still, but you know what the fight that I think would be a great great uh, litmus test that he should have next? Roman Delidze. I, I've i been thinking that as well, just because Delidze is a madman. Um, Two former Craig's light heavyweights. Known for their grappling more than anything. Yep. Um, you know, might as well throw out the fact that, they, they, you know, battle for the most epic beard in middleweight now. So. Yep. All right. Um, as far as Zion versus Jai Herbert sucked. Uh, <laughs> two long, stretchy guys who wanted to spend the whole time clinching. And uh, I gave Zion every round, but there was so little definitive offense in any of those rounds that I I basically just checked out after the first one. I, I gave Herbert two rounds, but I, you know, like you said, there was so little of consequence happening that it, it was very much splitting hairs. Yeah. Uh, nobody really cared who won. And like you said, Zion got his hand raised in the end. And the less said about the fight, the better. Yep. 
All right, that brought us to a featherweight bout. Larone Murphy, Joshua Kulabau. This was a pretty decent decent fight. Really close and sticky for the first two rounds. Kulabau making some really good reads, but also just having to deal with a lot of power coming back from Murphy, a lot of strength. And then that liver kick in the third round that just absolutely wrecked Kulabau. Um, yeah, fun fight. Rough loss for Kulabau, but Murphy looks great. And I do... Honestly, you know, I would talked about this with Wood too, but I do want to see Lerone Murphy versus Edson Barbosa as like a next step up. I actually had that written down. Uh, you know, yep. occasionally I've got a fight. You know, I I don't do the the fights to make the way that you do, uh, mm-hmm. but so there's some fights that I'm just like, ooh, that one sounds like fun, and just for notes for myself later, that was one that yep. I actually put down. Uh, otherwise, Daniel Marcos, Davy Grant, um, I. You know, it's not a robbery. It was not a clean fight, but I really have trouble giving Marcos two rounds. I'm with you on that one. Grant, he, he in the third, like, I can understand giving Marcos the second. I gave him the second because I felt, A, his low kicks were doing a lot more damage than anything else. And B, he busted Grant's nose in that round as well. It was a, it was a good damaging strike. And... Even though he had half the output, I felt, okay, you know what? You did the damage. You deserve to get it. But having done the damage there in round two, in round three, he didn't A, he didn't go back to the low kicks. Pretty much got away from those entirely. And if you're bloody, if the nose is getting bloody again in round three, judges should be should know like that is damage that was done in round two. You know? Mm-hmm. That's not that's not a new that's not new scoring damage in the next round. You saw that when it happened. You scored it when it happened. There has to be more. And Marcos did not bring more to the table and got doubled up on. I thought Grant landed most of the best strikes around three. And so I just don't see a really good argument to give it to him. I, but, my thoughts exactly. Uh, I gave Grant all three rounds, but you mm-hmm. know. I, I totally understand somebody giving Marcos too. I get that. Yeah. You know, I think you laid out the uh, argument why perfectly. Uh, so uh, somebody wants to give Marcos second round. I, I wasn't going to argue that, but I, I thought Grant took all three rounds. I was pretty shocked when he didn't get the uh, the decision, especially given that he was the hometown boy, but yeah. he, he didn't get home cooking this time. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Uh, well, to wait about Johnny Parsons, Danny Roberts. And Dan, Dan, Danny Roberts was looking so slick in this fight. And this is one of those things I was talking about a lot this week with, about him. He's like when he's on and when he's clicking, like he he's so fast. He's so technically well-rounded. So much of the game works so well for Roberts. But he is just... He is fragile, and he rarely ever takes a fight to his opponent. He almost always accepts whatever fight they want to have. Yes. And once Parsons started to make this fight just a brawl, Danny Roberts was like, great, I'll just have a brawl with you. And that was that was the wrong move. Yeah, yeah. No, um, the, my read on this fight was pretty much exactly what happened. You know, I'm, uh, Roberts is the better athlete. He's longer. He's more experienced. Uh, the the te- more technical fighter as well. And and yet, despite all that, I'm like, I, I don't trust his IQ and and his his durability. Every time yep. he goes up, he even if he does get a win, there's a uh, time in the fight where it seems like, oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. Yeah. 
And Parsons is the type of fighter that if, if he hurts you, he's he's going to be like a dog on a bone. He's just going to go after it. And yep. that's what he did. Great win for Parsons. Rough loss for Roberts. I feel so bad for him, too, because he's over there. Like, he's in tears after the end of that fight. Yeah. And it's like, but you went out there and you sat down and you just fought like a madman. Like, you, you fought like a guy who was having so much fun in a brawl. He didn't care whether he won or lost. Mm-hmm. So it really hurts double to see him so br- busted up after the loss, where it's just like, you were not fighting like a man who cared whether he won or lost this fight, you yeah. know? Oh, well. Uh, before that, Joel Al- uh, or Joel Alvarez, Joel Alvarez, Mark Diacese, probably the biggest moment of commentary or, con- or not commentary, but um, uh, controversy of the night. Uh, Alvarez had pretty, really good, strong first round. I was actually really surprised Diacese didn't bite on and try to take him down off of any of those shots he was eating. Because DKSA ate a lot of heavy shots that were all made to convince him to shoot in. And he didn't. And then he came out and started round two with the shot and took took Alvarez right down. I was like, oh, you know what? DKSA actually playing this smart. I like this. And uh, Alvarez fought his way back up. They started trading again. Alvarez is landing the bigger, heavier shots again. Not even saying this fight would have gone differently but then they had that head clash. DKSA clearly rattled by it. Ref didn't see it. Alvarez pours it on, gets the submission win on a clearly hurt DKSA. And the rough part here is, I don't, you know, A, even with a commission, it would be hard to overturn because so much happened after the foul. Yeah. Do you really have to say, like, oh, was it the, the, head, the head clash that hurt DKSA or the other four shots he ate was he awake enough to fight off the choke or was it detrimental to his ability to fight the submission and all that the other part of it is though too like who does he file the claim to you know i know like the ufc brings it they bring in like an outside international commission to sort of oversee this card uh in england but england doesn't have any national governing body for itself so is he gonna be able to like how independent is this commission that the ufc is hiring for this card you know how much can he contest the result i'm not necessarily all that convinced he's got an easy route to to make an to make a change if the ufc doesn't care you know if the ufc doesn't want to and doesn't push for it um it's one of those cases where if um if the commissions, uh, you know, any commission in general uh, were to actually take serious looks at this type of stuff and, and uh, not uh, be worried about rattling the cage for whatever decision the referees have made, you know, they, they would mm-hmm. seriously consider making a change. But, you know, uh, for all the reasons that you've laid out, even if he was in a, uh, a say, a regular commission that handles these types of things like the Nevada Commission, I still don't think that there would be much of a chance that uh, anything would get changed. Um, I will say, I I do think that that if the UFC does want this fight overturned, if they feel like Diakese was hard done by, it's probably more likely than it would be with the U.S. commission because these international hired commissions, they they, they have a lot less 
of a, you know, there's a lot less of a volunteer. Oh, you know, the refs working for us are people we have a really close working relationship with and we need to keep them on. We've seen this in Brazil, too, where it's actually kind of easier for the UFC to get fights overturned there because they're hiring the people to do the work so they can really tell the people, hey, we think this you screwed up here. You need to change for us because we're paying you. Oh, and uh, the, which doesn't really fly in the U.S. The, the thing that I would love to see uh, happen more often is referees just step up and say, hey, I made a yeah. mistake. I, I think uh, years back, I, I can't remember who it was that submitted Drew Dober, but it was a fight. Yeah, uh, um, yeah what's his name? His nickname was The Beetle, and uh, I yeah. can't remember his name either. Or yes, uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it, the referee was Jaron Bilal, and mm-hmm. Bilal was the one who approached the commission. He said, I got it wrong. He, yeah. I thought he was out. He wasn't out. It should be a no contest. And that has always stuck with me because I'm like, why can't more referees do that? There, there's, yep. you know, m- mistakes are going to happen. We we all know that. So there's nothing wrong with saying, that, hey, I got it wrong. Like I say that was a Brazil event. So it is a little bit different of a relationship that, yeah. you know, the UFC, the commission is working for the UFC rather than the UFC, the commission working for the the state government, you know. True. True. Uh, otherwise, before that. Oh, so solid win for Alvarez. I don't know. He probably just keeps him in another action fight in the middle of the lightweight division. But uh, it was a solid performance, honestly, even with the head clash. Oh, yeah. No, Alvarez looked good. Um, and GKSA, uh, for the most part, looked good, too. Uh, yep. It was competitive up until the head clash. And from there, uh, it was kind of academic just because Alvarez is slick with his submissions. And GKSA, you know, that whole uh, analogy of bunch of black belt in the face they've become a brown yep. belt well in case it wasn't a black belt to begin with so that's true all right that brings us to a heavyweight bout mick parkin jamal pogue and uh th- this fight was just kind of awful so i don't really care <laughs> like, I, who, who cares who they fight next parkin looks like he's got a little hand speed he looks like he is well studied. It's nice to see a heavyweight that doesn't walk himself into the clinch when he's throwing a jab and working behind his strikes. But you know, it's also he's just too new to the game to have a little or to have a lot of venom against somebody like Pogues, who's at least tough enough to just hang in there. And for Pogues, he doesn't he doesn't fight at a pace or with enough intent to to really win at this level at all. Yeah, and uh, it, yeah, it. It doesn't help uh, that in, in the course of three fights, Pogues has gone from uh, fighting at 205 to, to pushing the heavyweight limit. And yeah. It makes me question how seriously he's taking things at this point because, it's, yeah. He, it's he also looks, a uh, really bad thing to see a guy who is still fighting regional-level competition in Jared Vanderam, Mick Parkin, the other three or four fights he's had before this, and can't get finishes anymore at heavyweight. Yeah. Like... You gotta, you gotta have power to stay in this division. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout: Mahmoud Muradov, Brian Barberena. This also sucked. Uh, <laughs> Foul-filled, ugly fight. Barberena got brutally poked in the eye, got head-butted. Uh, just also just looked slow. Even at middleweight, he was far and away slower than Mahmoud Muradov. Uh, still can't wrestle. 
It just sucked. He, he did what Brian Barberena does, though. Um, he got taken down, but he continued to, to work his way back to his feet. Sure. Uh, exhausting his opponent. And he had a little bit of success down the stretch, but you know, Muradov just hurt him so so freaking often that uh, yeah. there, there wasn't going to be any of the classic Barberena overtaking down the stretch that tends to happen. So, yeah. Uh, then we had a woman's bandweight bout, Ketlin Vieira, Panny Kianzad. Also kind of no fun. Um, Vieira had two very solid rounds of top control that were not terribly exciting. Uh, late Kimura threat that was too late to get anything done. An arm triangle threat that she couldn't complete. Then Kianzad, who apparently has never seen a single leg in her life before. I don't know. I don't like those were not devastating takedown attempts that Vieira was going for. It was she just grabbed a leg and turned, and Kianzad had no clue what to do. She tried to crawl out of one mm-hmm. at one point. She like turned around and put her hands on the floor and tried to crawl away from the single leg. And it's just um uh, and so it was, and then she had that sweep in round three and immediately started doing way more from top control than Vieira had done in the two rounds previous. Yeah. And uh, it just ended up with neither woman looking like a contender in a fight where one of them really needed to look like a contender. You know, the the thing is though, the, the problem with the division uh in the in the title picture, it's a, it's a three woman race. You've got Beno Silva, you've got Pennington, and you've got Pena. Yep. Which means that there's going to be somebody who's the odd woman out. Yep. At this point, that you know, it likely means that they could end up being in a title uh, eliminator. And even though it was not a good performance, because pretty much everybody else immediately ranked, ranked behind her is coming off a loss, Vieira's probably still in a good spot to, to be in a title eliminator fight. Yeah. I think she should rematch Irene Aldana. I think that's the fight to make right now. It's possible. It's possible. Personally. But uh, anyway, for that lightweight bout, Chris Duncan, Yanal Ashmuz, and uh, really good fight from Duncan. He looked really well prepared. Uh, still not a fast lightweight, but he made a lot of really good choices out there. Mm-hmm. And Ashmuz looks fast, looks like a great athlete, but A, he started the fight letting Duncan have all the initiative, which was a terrible move, got him pieced up all kinds of ways. And then he got his arm broken and or his hand broken. And like, yeah, that kind of took it. I mean, Honestly, you could tell it's like, oh well, yeah, that took him out of the fight there going forward. But his best round was the round was round two after getting his hand broken when he actually had to concentrate on fighting smart and not letting Duncan just tee off on him. Yeah. So yeah. And it really credit, needs to be a wake up moment for Ashmoos. Yes. And you know, credit to Duncan, because he's long had a uh, reputation as just a crazy wild man uh, yeah. in his fights. And ever since uh, he got knocked out by uh, Borshev, in the on the contender series, yeah, Duncan's trying to turn himself around. Like you said, he said, a smart, perce- smart performance, and he's he's uh, he's looking like he's. On and the it rest. wasn't so clingy and uh, damage averse the way the last one was either. Like this was just the mix he had of his punches to knee- to step knees. Like it, it was just some really clever combination punching where it's like okay, even if I'm slower, 
And even if you're going to land hard while I land, I'm going to surprise you with the angles of my strikes and with the combinations I'm choosing. And that worked out really well for him. Uh, before that, Bruno Brazil, Shauna Bannon, and um, yeah, ugly fight. Bannon <laughs> does not have, she really has a point kickboxing, point karate kind of style. Uh, I, I realized what a mistake I'd made picking her when they started talking about in the intro about her sister being an Olympic kickboxer. It's like Olympic kickboxing. What? That doesn't really exist. Oh, no. It's some like shiny pants point fighting nonsense. And sure enough, all of her offense is like side leg or side on, you know, side front kicks or side kicks and front leg side kicks and like little quick one, like hop in one, two, hop out kind of stuff. That's just made to get like a, a ref to step in and go, you know, stop. And then like, let everybody reset and go back to range and like, Oh, you've scored your point that that match. And she's just not ready to compete with some like Bruna Brazil's game is not great, but it, at least if you're going to let her have time and space to do whatever she wants, everything she does has violence connected to it. Yeah. Nothing Bannon does has any real threat attached. No. Um, Bannon's young and not like, she's not super young. She's I believe 30 uh, or yeah. in, within that neighborhood. She's, but that's still young enough that she could uh, develop a bit more to her game. But, yeah, but it's also something she's been doing since she was like five. So like, yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. But the fact that she's uh, so in that that style of fighting is so ingrained into her, I, I have a hard time seeing her uh, having more than a cup of coffee within the UFC. Yeah, we'll see. And then a flyweight bout: Jafel Filho, uh, Filho against Daniel Barres, and uh, looked like a really bad start for Filho. And I was like, man, he needs to get this fight down desperately. Started turning it around even before that, honestly, just just being willing to sit and wing hooks at Barres whenever Barres would step in. But the moment he got a first takedown, I was like, yes, this is the fight you should be having. Yes. This is over immediately. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a fantastic way to, to start the card because um, uh, Barez really brought it. Heard him a couple of times before Fila was able to, to turn it around. Um, it, it's just too bad that uh, the momentum just completely died after that fight. Yep. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap everything up. Uh, we're not going to be doing any bonus content this week. I'm sorry, but uh, I got to run and uh, the event was, eh, you know, you, you want my overall rating? I give it uh, two and a half stars. Um, the The main event was a good highlight. Sitting through all the rest of it was a huge slog. Yeah, I'd probably say about two and a quarter. Um, I right. mean, you know, like you said, the main event was good. Uh, and, and even the co-main event wasn't bad, yeah. but at the same main, time... Main, co-main, like, Wood, Feely, Craig, Mooney's, these were all okay. These were all pretty decent fights, but then there was a whole card under it that was just not well, fun. Yeah, yeah. All right. On that note, you can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSign. You can find Dane on Twitter at TheDaneFox. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Thanks, everyone. Give a give our show a like. Get shared around. Subscribe to our Substack. I promise we'll have bonus content next time. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 291, Poirier versus KG2. Thanks, everyone. Adios.
Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.